With the advent of advanced technology, particularly information technology via mobile apps, there's this opportunity to increase the suite of options to make our existing transit systems more robust and to provide people with more choices, particularly more choices that aren't reliant on a private vehicle and a single occupant vehicle for that matter. Welcome to Infinite Earth Radio. We believe that in a world of finite natural resources, a smart and sustainable future is only possible by lifting up people and unleashing unlimited human potential. Infinite Earth Radio will not only help you learn from bright visionary civic leaders who are building smarter, more inclusive and sustainable communities, but you'll discover how you can bring these ideas to your community. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Hancocks and Vernice Miller-Travis. Welcome back to Infinite Earth Radio, where we talk with thought leaders and change agents who are transforming the future by building smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable communities. This is your host, Mike Hancocks, and with me is my co-host, Vernice Miller-Travis. Before we get to today's topic and guests, I just want to remind you all that this month we are promoting the new book from Joel Macauer and his co-authors, The New Grand Strategy, and that we here at Infinite Earth Radio are giving away 25 copies. So if you want to enter to win a totally free copy, we even pay the shipping, go to infiniteearthradio.com backslash strategy and enter to win, or go to wherever you buy books and purchase a copy of this important book. Bernice, do you have anything you want to share before we get started? I do. Just a little heads up for folks working on climate adaptation in California. The second California Adaptation Forum will be one of the premier convenings of over a thousand leaders, practitioners, and advocates gathered to discuss, debate, and consider how we can most effectively respond to the impacts of climate change. The forum takes place September 7th through 8th, 2016 in Long Beach, California. Registration opens mid-June. Visit CaliforniaAdaptationForum.org to learn more. Our topic today is shared mobility services, and we are super lucky to have as our guest Susan Shaheen, an internationally recognized expert in mobility and the sharing economy, and she co-directs the Transportation Sustainability Research Center of the Institute of Transportation Studies at the University of California at Berkeley. Susan, welcome. Thank you. So let's start with what are shared mobility services? Are we talking about just cars? Are we talking about services like Lyft and Uber? Or are we talking about things like Zipcar too? So great, great starting question. Uh, shared mobility is, is broader than uh, just car sharing or what we call uh, ride sourcing services that are on demand like Uber and Lyft. It's the shared use of a vehicle, bicycle, or other mode. And it's a strategy that enables its users to gain access on a short-term basis to transportation modes that they need. And it, it does come in a lot of different flavors, uh, car sharing, bike sharing, ride sharing, which is essentially carpooling and van pooling, and this whole range of on-demand or point-to-point mobility services. So what are the benefits to society and to individuals of shared mobility services? So shared mobility has a range of social and environmental benefits associated with it. And what we've found from our research in this 
area is that those benefits are different based on the mode that we're looking at, the environment in which the mode is deployed. For example, one city's impacts might be different than another's. A suburban area's impacts are different than a rural area's impacts or an urban area's impacts. What we know the most about is a form of shared mobility called car sharing, which is essentially round trip or point to point or even peer to peer based models. From our work on round trip car sharing, we found in a 2008 study, so it's a bit old, but what we found was that in a round trip model similar to the Zipcar model that's quite popular around the world, that about 25% of the people surveyed said that they gave up a car. Another 25% postponed an auto purchase. Now, these again are aggregate level impacts, so they're not specific to the city. They are aggregate data presented for Canada and the US. We also know from this particular study that the vehicle miles traveled reductions from round trip car sharing ranged from approximately 30% as high as 43%. And a final statistic I wanna share with you is related to household savings. We've found that people who engaged in round trip car sharing report saving anywhere from about $150 to about $435 per month. So that's just an example of one of the forms of shared mobility that we've investigated and what some of the environmental and social benefits are. Are you finding that car sharing services are they universally being accessed or are they or is the use is more concentrated in certain areas? Well, definitely with forms like car sharing, the round trip and the point-to-point form, that's services like Car2Go, ReachNow, which is a BMW service, that they tend to be more frequently deployed in dense urban areas. But with round trip car sharing, we find it in a whole range of environments, including suburban environments and even more rural type environments when it's deployed in a college university setting. And what we have found with um, some of this data, which is not surprising, is a lot of its users tend to be young, upwardly mobile, and well-educated or on their way to becoming well-educated because they're college students. Um, and what one of the things we're really interested in seeing is, can we start to scale these services to other parts of the population, uh, to individuals from a diverse range of socioeconomic backgrounds, and also to the disabled population and elderly population? And so is there any evidence that, is there anybody doing anything right now that is making that happen? Well, there is an exciting development happening in the state of California. The California Air Resources Board, in uh, partnership with several non-governmental organizations, uh, worked together to create a request for proposal opportunity to deploy low-income car sharing. So stay tuned for some developments in in the Los Angeles area around that particular Topic. So I get a sense that, you know, maybe you can share data on this, that services like Uber and Lyft seem to be, have expanded fairly rapidly across the United States. I'm wondering how uh, with a Zipcar model, the idea of sharing, of individuals sharing a, a car, 
how that model is expanding and how uh, what the market acceptance of that is. So what we we've seen since about 2013 is a dramatic rise in what we call ride sourcing. Uh, the media is calling it ride hailing and many governmental organizations are referring to it as transportation network companies. So you might hear of it in those different terms. So ride sourcing, ride hailing, and uh, TNCs. And essentially, it's the use of a smartphone app to connect community drivers. So these are people driving private vehicles with passengers. And since 2013, we've seen a dramatic rise in these services across the nation, if not across the globe, and across a wide range of land use environments. So it's not just you know, classic urban core areas, we are seeing it in less dense areas of the nation. And what I think the appeal of this is, is you have an app that allows riders to request a ride, and they often are able to request it in a very short period of time. In cities like San Francisco and LA, the match times can be as low as three minutes. And what we've found from our research is that those matches are quite consistent. So when you look at different times of day, different types of locations, we find that those match rates and match times are really robust. And what that means is that people can rely on these types of services for all sorts of travel, including getting to the airport or to a business meeting, not just social and recreational trips that might not have as much time sensitivity. People are able to rate their drivers. People are able to also pay for the service through the app itself. And so these types of services have gained a lot of attention in the media because I think of their instant quality of mobility, but they are also attracting, you know, a lot of negative attention, for example, from the taxi industry, conversations about safety and security. These types of services function a lot like one-way car sharing, which is an on-demand point-to-point mobility service as well. So they fall into a similar suite of options, one in which you drive yourself through a one-way car sharing service and one in which a driver drives you in a point-to-point mobility service similar to Lyft or Uber. So, Susan, what would you say are the benefits to municipalities and society at large of these kinds of mobility services, shared mobility services? Right. So, again, because we're talking about a lot of different modes, those types of benefits to society, to municipalities, vary based on which modes you're looking at and also what locations you're looking at and what times of day you're looking at them. As I noted earlier, round-trip car sharing is perhaps um, the most well-studied phenomenon. Other types of shared mobility that have been studied with respect to their social and environmental benefits include bike sharing. So this is a similar notion of a system that can be both point-to-point and round-trip, really widely deployed in the United States. In fact, uh, there were about 61 IT or information technology-based bike sharing programs deployed in October of 2015 in the United States with a collective fleet of about 30,750 bikes and 3,200 stations. So in terms of its benefits, we've done a lot of study of this particular mode 
In fact, across two studies that uh, accumulated bike sharing data from the United States, Canada, and Mexico. From our most recent study published in 2014, we saw that about 5.5% of the users of bike sharing sold or postponed their vehicle purchases. About 58% of those members of these systems increased their cycling and about 50% reported reducing their personal auto use. So this is another example of some of the benefits to municipalities and to citizens who opt for a shared mobility mode. So what about the cab companies? Are these shared mobility services just putting cab companies and their drivers out of business? There's been a lot of discussion in the news about these services driving down wages for drivers. Do we have any data on that? Yeah, so this has been an issue that I I mentioned just lightly previously. The taxis have definitely seen some declines in their numbers. And in part, some of that is due to the fact that in a, in a recent study that we completed here in Berkeley back in uh, 2014, when we did a match pair analysis and we compared services like Uber, Lyft, and Sidecar to the taxi services, we saw that in terms of wait time, there was a, a dramatic difference in terms of the services being consistent and reliable between the taxis and the newer services. But we also have seen that there's data to suggest that taxis are losing market share. So in terms of the the labor wages, this is an area that we spend um, not a lot of time focusing on at our research center at the Transportation Sustainability Research Center. There has been a lot of discussion about wages not being equitable or fair on both sides for the drivers. And this is, I think, something we need to look at really closely as we look at the growth of on-demand mobility. The other thing we need to look at with an eye towards the future is replacement of drivers in either a ride-hailing or ride-sourcing model or in a taxi model. You know, if drivers ultimately get replaced by automation, you know, what's going to happen to that? workforce overall. So it's not just unique to the taxis. It's also something that we need to be prepared for if we do move towards more of an automated future. And one related question I have, Susan, is that is there any data being collected around the the diversity of the clients and the neighborhoods and the communities served. That has been one of the downsides of taxi services is that they didn't serve every community equally. They didn't serve all people equally, even when you're just hailing them on the street. But do we know if all communities are being served by shared mobility services? That's a really great question. So in terms of data and understanding about equity, there have been a few uh, studies released about the TNCs, some done by the operators themselves that would suggest that they are serving unserved areas. In terms of sociodemographics, there's less available data, third-party data, to, to really help us understand who the users are. Our research center is really... Um, delighted because we are participating in a study that's been funded by the Hewlett Foundation and in partnership with the Natural Resources Defense Council to work with both Uber and Lyft to conduct surveys of both the users, 
of these services and the drivers of these services, as well as to access some critical activity data from the operators themselves to answer a lot of questions about who the users are and generally where are those trips being taken. And I say generally because there's a great deal of sensitivity to the privacy of the user that we have to balance as well as the proprietary interests of those companies. So we hope to release that study in fall of 2016. So stay tuned on that. Susan, um, the work you do is so important because I think there's so much change in our society. And and whenever there's a new technology or wherever there's a a change in approach to doing things, there, there are claims made both positive and negative that I think is often based on anecdote or theory and not necessarily based on data. So I, I know we're, we're asking you a bunch of hard questions um, that probably no one has the answer to yet. And we're hoping you might be able to shed some light for us, but we, you know, we certainly understand that these things are all new and, and there's just a lot to look at to understand the positives and the negatives of all these things. One of the, the arguments that I've heard is that, this whole notion of a shared mobility service and the and the you know essentially the use of technology to form a better communication between the components of the transportation system and individuals that to some degree this is a kind of a new form of public transportation infrastructure and that it's being provided by the private sector and that's really helpful because governments are kind of cash strapped so my question is, is, you know, is there any indication that, that how this um, shared mobility services are really impacting the need for public transportation? And, you know, is, the, is that argument just kind of enabling us to not make the investments in public transportation that would result in even greater reductions in vehicle miles traveled? It's a long question. I don't know if... Yeah, well, it's, and it's a complex answer. So... The transportation system right now, we haven't raised the gas tax since 1993. So there's less funding to go around to support road maintenance and operations and transit expansion and operations. So I think it's a good time for us to think about public-private partnerships and the creation of new types of forms of mobility that provide people with a wide array of choices that give them more than a binary choice between a bus or rail or a private car. And many of us hypothesize that by expanding that suite of choices and by commodifying transportation, so essentially making it possible for people to compare the costs, the time, the environmental impacts, the savings to their household, that they can make better choices. But In order to create more choices, there is a need for, I think, more services to fill gaps in the existing transportation network. We know that there's a lot of terrific transit services out there. But, for example, in the San Francisco Bay Area where I live, sometimes you can't even get on the train. Uh, You have to wait multiple times for the train to come, even get a space on that train. So... Some of them just really need help with peak shaving. And in other cases, we have areas where there aren't frequent enough services. So maybe the bus comes, but not, not at the times of day when somebody needs it. And in other cases, there's no, no service at all. Or in suburban locations, maybe the size of the bus could be reduced to a minivan 
type of bus or even a sedan. And so with the advent of advanced technology, particularly information technology via mobile apps, there's this opportunity to increase the suite of options to make our existing transit systems more robust and to provide people with more choices, particularly more choices uh, that aren't reliant on a private vehicle and a single occupant vehicle for that matter. You did a fantastic job of answering that question. Thank you. So Susan, where can folks learn more about your work? Well, we're delighted to share our information with everybody. We post a lot of our work on uh, one of two websites. So the first is Innovative Mobility Research, and you can find that at imr.berkeley, B-E-R-K-E-L-E-Y dot E-D-U. And we have a second website, which is the Transportation Sustainability Research Center website, which is tsrc.berkeley, again, B-E-R-K-E-L-E-Y dot E-D-U. Thank you. And if our listeners are interested in um, hearing more about mobility as a service, they should go back and listen to Infinite Earth Radio podcast episode number 18 with Steve Rainey, where we talked about the work that Joint Venture Silicon Valley is doing in this area. So our next few questions are what we call our lightning round questions, Susan. And if you could give a short, compact answer, first thing that comes to your head. First question, if you could implement one change or pick one leverage point that would lead to smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable communities, what would it be? A focus on smart cities and the use of big data to help us better understand how to manage operations and supply along with demand. Data is critical to that. I I think that that's a great answer. I I think that Big data people should think of a more palatable word than big data. It sounds like big government or something. <laughs> and I think it scares people. But, but you're right. With the ability to really look at data and in ways that we've never had before really opens up tremendous opportunities to understand problems better and come up with better solutions. What one action could the average listener take to help build a more equitable and sustainable future? I think staying aware of what your choices are. And checking out some of these smart mobility apps and giving them a try and seeing how they fit into your lifestyle. And if you're successful in the work that you're doing in terms of growing mobility access services, what do our communities look like 30 years from now? Oh, this is a great question. So, you know, we dream about this all the time here at our research center. And now, we envision smart cities. We envision a world in which people have more mobility choices. They can feel safe walking and cycling, and they feel like they, they're not spending all of their money on an asset that sits unused 95% of the time, that they can be using their money for other things, and that our cities don't have to be filled with parking. They can be filled with affordable housing and great land use. Susan, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. And thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. My pleasure. And thank you all for joining us today. And we look forward to seeing you next time on Infinite Earth Radio. Infinite Earth Radio is a podcast produced by Skio in association with the Local Government Commission. To learn more about Skio, the Local Government Commission, 
Infinite Earth Radio guests, or how you can make a difference in your community, visit our website at infiniteearthradio.com or join us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Infinite Earth Radio and Twitter by following at Infinite Earth Radio.